everybody, welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, as always, Jeff. Joining me from uh, Tacoma, our studio up there, it's undergoing renovations. It is my uh, co-host, as usual, Mark A. Johnson. Mark, how you doing? Doing great, man. The renovations uh, have it looking pretty good in here. They uh, changed one of the broom closets into an actual broadcast room for me, so... That's where I'm uh, coming from right now in this broom closet. And, uh, you know, I got uh, some uh, old paint and some stuff lying around. But otherwise, it's pretty nice in here, I got to admit. And the, the acoustics are great. They're storing the lead paint in there and the uh, yeah. all the chlor- chlorine and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what the funny smell is, I think. Oh, wait, no, it's me. All right, well, let's get right into it. We've got, I've got a lot to talk about today. We've got a couple of stories we want to talk about. We've got some Wax Packs Heroes to hit up and open up some baseball cards. Let's get into our first segment, though, and uh, make sure that we're warmed up. We've got a long ways to warm up, though. I mean, the season's still quite a ways off, but I did notice on ESPN Baseball's homepage today, along the top, they always put the scores from the from the next game or that day's games. They have put the first day of spring training games up there today. That's a good sign. February 25th. We are we're about three months away from uh, from spring training baseball. There is some baseball out there right oh, now. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of baseball going on. There's there's the uh, the Caribbean leagues. There's some Mexican winter leagues. There's the Arizona Fall League, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Uh, the Australian League's getting ready to go. The Japanese League is in the Climax Series right now. The Korean League is in their final series, too. Yeah, there is a ton of baseball to watch out there. I've got some things I definitely want to talk about here during BP. First of all, we mentioned it an episode or two ago, and I now have confirmation Jock Peterson's strands of pearls are in the Hall of Fame. They are oh, on they are. display in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. I was a little worried about it, but I figured that was also right up their alley. They're there. I don't know if they were his original ones that were put back together, if they were the last ones, if they were a spare set. I don't know, but they're there. You can see them. Congratulations to Jock Peterson, who has two World Series rings in the last two years and a string of pearls in the Hall of Fame. I think he's the only player that can say that. That's pretty impressive. Also, this is something I, this is great. This is right up our alley. Adam Wainwright, you know, pitcher for the Cardinals, offseason. So how do pitchers stay in shape if they're not playing elsewhere, right? Well, Adam Wainwright went to a carnival, And at this local carnival, they had, you know, you usually you've got the thing where you throw the baseballs or the softballs at those like lead milk containers that weigh like 30 pounds each. So he went to one where they didn't have that. But what they have is a dunk tank. So they've got a (laughs) dunk tank and you can purchase baseballs and you throw at the little target and you try and dunk this clown. Now, the reason you want to do this is because the clown has a bullhorn. And he is insulting you and talking bad about you as you're trying to dunk him. You know, there's, I don't like clowns in the first place, but clowns that insult you, you know, that's just got to (laughs) go. So uh, Adam Wainwright steps up and there's video of this. We're going to play it here. So just imagine this. He's he's at a carnival. He's uh, got uh, some baseballs here and there's a clown with a bullhorn. (laughs) Are you going to try it on the girl's side? No, he's getting back on the man's side. Yeah. He trying to show you half a man he think he is. Oh, you only got two. You gonna do it this time? You promise? Huh? <laughs> 
Wow. Do not. That, I mean, I got to guess this clown did not know that was Adam Wainwright or <laughs> even if he knows Adam Wainwright is. But good for him for dunking the, the loudmouth clown. Yeah. I mean, all clowns should be dunked. No offense to clowns listening, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and by that, I don't mean Yankee fans. Oh, okay. Wow. I got to knock that off. I got, I got, I got to cut down on the Yankee hatred. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have been described as specializing in Red Sox history, so <laughs> <laughs> which is improper and untrue. I, I promised a listener that I would cut down on the, uh, the Yankee insults. So I don't believe you, but that's okay. a great segue right there because let's talk about uh, something Yankee related. So. Carlos Correa, right? Longtime yeah. Astro, proven mm-hmm. cheater. Yes. Guy that really leaned into being the bad guy yeah. since this whole, you know, trash can scandal came out. Altuve's kind of kept quiet. Everybody else has kind of kept quiet, trying to keep their heads down and just try to get over it. But Carlos Correa has really leaned into it. We've talked about this before. Free agent, one of the big free agent shortstops on the market right now, as there are quite a few. Yeah. Carlos Correa was on a Spanish language podcast, and there are some clips making the rounds right now of of a very interesting quote that he says about that he has about Derek Jeter. I know one of your favorite favorite Mm -hmm. players of all time, speaking of Yankee hate. And this is no comment. This is from Carlos Correa. And and again, this was in Spanish. So I am just taking what everybody else has written as the quote. I I have not translated this myself. But he said on this podcast, quote, Derek Jeter didn't deserve any of the gold gloves he won, end quote. Now, Carlos Correa is a very good defensive shortstop. He is. I mean, those are strong words to say about anybody, let alone a first ballot Hall of Famer, somebody that's as popular as Derek Jeter and someone that's as divisive as Derek Jeter, too, because Yankee fans will stick up for him until the day they die. But I think everybody can admit Derek Jeter was vastly overrated defensively. He made some good plays. He didn't make plays that other shortstops can make simply because he couldn't get to the ball. I went ahead and I looked up some defensive stats here. And the one I was keying on was defensive runs saved. So Derek Jeter in his 20 year career, of which for the first seven or eight years, they didn't even have the the metrics for this. He ended up with a minus 165 defensive runs saved. Whoa, how's that possible? Well, there's a lot of balls, like I said, that he was not getting to that other defenders were. In Carlos Correa's seven seasons thus far, he is a positive 67. Oh, wow. Maybe he has a right to say it. (laughs) That is a difference of 232-ish defensive runs saved between the two of them. Man. I, I just thought that was, one, it was bold for him to come out and say that about a Hall of Fame guy yeah, like Derek Jeter legend yeah but then to see those numbers and that is just a an incredible disparity between the two of them defensively that's uncanny I that, mean I would never have come up with those numbers no I mean that's that's huge so I just wanted to bring that up I thought it fit right in with our with our Yankee uh, chatter as an you know what and as an aside note if you if you disagree and think that Jeter was better defensively than we do I would recommend you check out the Fielding Bible and uh, just Google that, the Fielding Bible, and it'll really give you a whole lot more defensive 
understanding than like a gold glove will. You know, we've said it before. Derek Jeter was a great player, deservedly in the Hall of Fame. He was a great hitter. He was he was a great captain, too. But defensively, just vastly, vastly overrated. And I don't think you're going to get too many people that follow baseball very closely that would argue (laughs) that he was not (laughs) overrated defensively. Right. Okay. It is time for, you know, this the regular season's over, but we just mentioned all the different kinds of baseball that is going on. So we are going to go into yet another Lars Newt Bar update. Here we go. So the uh, Arizona Fall League All-Star Game was last week. Lars Newtbar, as we mentioned before, made the all-star team. He did not start. He did get in the game. He went one for three, scored a run. Lars has played a couple of games since our last show for the old Dessert Dogs. He uh, has uh, gone into a little bit of a slump. His average is down to 314, which is still a great Newtbar to shoot for. But it is, I mean, that's down 40 points from the last time we talked about it. He has still got five home runs, 13 RBIs. A lot of these are league leading or tied for the league lead in a lot of these categories. So Lars Newtbar still tearing it up down there in Arizona, which is always good to hear. That's awesome. All right, Mark, our trivia question. Let's get to it. Last week, I asked the question, who are the only catcher pitcher battery to hit grand slams in the same game? Now, I figured this one was a little bit easier than a couple of weeks prior, and I was correct. We got a bunch of responses, a lot of them correct. Did you uh, did you happen to come up with anything? I'll be perfectly honest with you, Jeff. I completely forgot. I was thinking of other stuff, apparently. That's my apologies. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not mad as much as I'm, I'm just disappointed. Sound like my mother. <laughs> it, it's okay. Well, well, we got some of our uh, crack listeners that were on it. Let's first tell you the answer. So the answer is Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner. And I threw that in there just because we were talking about Buster Posey last week and his surprise retirement. This game happened on July 13th of 2014 when Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner hit grand slams in a game against the Arizona Diamondbacks. It should be noted the final score of the game was uh, a victory for the Giants. They won eight to four. All eight runs came off of the Grand Slams by Posey and Mad Bum. That's crazy. The Buster Posey Grand Slam came off of Vidal Nuno III, and Mad Bums came off of Matt Stites. Okay. There you go. A couple of interesting names. That Arizona Diamondbacks team, you know who was behind the dish calling those pitches for the D-backs that day? Uh, Joe West. Well, he well, let's see. Was he behind the plate calling balls and strikes? No, it was Gabe Morales. Dave. Right. I wouldn't have got it. Yeah, he was not there. But our buddy Tuffy Ghostwitch was behind the plate (laughs) throwing down the ones and twos. Oh, yeah. Former Mariner Tuffy Ghostwitch. Tuffy. Yeah. Also in that game was a very young Didi Gregorius for the D-backs. I didn't know. Didi Gregorius came up in 2012 with the Reds. Played eight games and then spent two years in Arizona before going over to the Yankees and taking over for Derek Jeter. Yes. Uh, by the way, uh, Didi Gregoris is uh, defensive runs saved above average is a minus 15 Ouch. for his career. So still better than Jeter. Not, uh-huh. not better than uh, not better than Carlos. Uh, also interesting that uh, Mad Bum had another grand slam 
in the same year on April 11th against Colorado. Hmm. And uh, I, I was I started to do some research. I got to finish it up to see which pitcher has the most career grand slams. And is it Madison Mumgarner? Let's give a shout out to a couple of our listeners, Chris Cook, Brian Krause, a couple of our usuals, Zach Thomas, Marco Sines also came in. I think they've had a couple of correct answers before. So we appreciate everybody sending us your answers, be they right or wrong. Mark, I have a new trivia question for you. I expect you to think about this one after the show. I promise to do better. The question is, who holds the record for most batters faced in a career without retiring anybody. <laughs> wow. Bummer. Yes. Not not really something that you want to a record you want to hold, but again, you've played in the big leagues. I used to say you're in the baseball encyclopedia, but I guess now it's you're on baseball reference. All right, so let us know if you've got an answer for that one. I think this one's going to take some research by some people. Get on it, have fun, and uh, we will tell you next week. Who holds the record for most batters faced in a career without retiring a single batter? That's rough. Yeah, that, that one is rough. All right, let's let the grounds crew. It, you know, it's a very pared down grounds crew because it is the offseason. Just a couple of the, there's like two full time guys. They're pulling the tarp all by themselves and it's going really slow. So uh, <laughs> let's let's just carry on while they continue their work. Uh, Mark, you have got a story for us about somebody that we've talked about on this show Many times during Wax Packs Heroes, he is famed from uh, Gone with the Wind, a very famous book and, yes. uh, and and movie. And also somehow my wife has a baseball autographed by him. Yes, of course, we're speaking of not Rhett Butler, but Brett Butler, my friend. Oh, that's my yeah. that is my bad. I forgot about Grace Under Fire and uh, <laughs> all of all of her great stand up. Oh, no, 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 no. The center fielder, former center fielder for the Dodgers. Oh, wait. That's right. This is a baseball. Yes. Baseball. Yeah. yeah okay. I mean, I, I get confused sometimes, that's too. Totally but. on me. So yeah, we, we've talked a little bit before about Brett Butler's uh, bunting prowess. And so I finally found a little bit of information. Gary Carter was quoted as saying, the bunt has made Butler a 300 hitter. And if he didn't bunt, he would probably be fortunate to hit 250. <laughs> I, I, so I looked into that a little bit. Butler was a 290 hitter career with a 377 on base. Nothing wrong with that. 17 years with the Dodgers and I believe the Giants. He was around. He was at Dodgers, Guardians, the Giants, the Hammers, and the Mets. According to baseball reference, didn't track any like any hits that were bunts specifically like bunt singles before 1988. But um, there was a L.A. Daily News article in 94 that said Butler had 257 bunt hits and he had six by May 16th in 94. So he'd go on to put on he would put on another uh, 29 more bunt hits in his career. So it looks like his total, as far as we know, is 286 career bunt base hits. He was quoted as saying he had 245. Maybe he forgot a is few. He, what is he got a notch in his locker that every time he gets a bunt base hit, he, he adds one? Yeah, I think so. When we get him on the show, we'll ask him. Oh, sure. That'll be the day. That'll be great. Basically, if you take out the 286 bunt hits and you make them outs, he would have hit just 255. So they now, were if, right on. <laughs> they were. Gary Carter was close. He said, uh, the thing is, if you just took those out instead of calling them outs, 
he would be a 265 career hitter. Hmm. So I mean, it depends on how you look at it, just like pretty much anything. You know, obviously, he was the master of the bunt. Let's see. Butler once said in an interview, a bunt means as much to Brett Butler as a home run does to Daryl Strawberry or somebody like that. Baseball is built around the home run, but as of late, they're starting to realize the importance of a leadoff man, a singles hitter, somebody who can bunt. Yes, that may have been true in 91. Wait, now, was he talking in third person? Was, yeah. But now, why does Ricky get so much crap for talking and Ricky talking about Ricky? And here's Brett Butler talking about Brett Butler loves uh, bunts. Maybe we should do that. Start talking, referring to ourselves like that, you know? Well, let me tell you what Mark says, pal. Mark says this. (laughs) (laughs) The bunt single is a lost art, says Mark. But I I looked through and I found since 88 uh, how many bunt singles he had every year. And he was uh, pretty decent. In in the first year they started keeping track, 88, he had 19, which led the league. 20 in 89, 22 in 1990, which also led the league. The most he ever had was 92. He had 42 bunt base hits in 1990. Wow. And looking at this, 1992, he also led the league in sacrifice bunts that year with 24. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So he, he made it 42 times and was successful sacrificing, what'd you say? 24. 24 more. That's amazing. Yeah. And he, he had 147 in his career. He reached double figures in sack bunts seven or eight times over his 17-year career. Yeah, he went on to, um, you know, he had 26 in 93, only nine in 94, and then in 95, he had 20. So, Well, he was also 38 years old in 1994. Exactly, and still that quick. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, the 42 bunt hits just blew me away. Only four other players have even reached 30 bunt base hits in a season. Kenny Lofton, Alex Sanchez, Willie Tavares, and Carlos Gomez. Since Gomez in 08, no player has even reached half as many bunts as Butler did that year. You know, I mentioned that bunts mean a lot to Brent Butler and to to Brett Butler, not Brent Butler. And people in the 90s, early 90s, he said, we're beginning to realize what a leadoff batter can provide. And here I am, Ricky Henderson, stand for life. And I think I saw Ricky square up for a bunt one time that I can remember. I'm, I'm really? sure he did it more than that. But one time that I ever remember him squaring to bunt, and it was one of those, he was never going to actually try to bunt. He was essentially trying to get the third baseman to play up a little bit closer sure. to the back. That, that was literally it. I do not remember a single time seeing him lay down a bunt. That just was not part of his game as the best leadoff batter of all time. Yeah, that's that's an interesting way to look at it. Of course, Ricky, Ricky's prowess at the plate was nothing. To, to, I was going to say to shake a stick at, but it kind of was something <laughs> to shake a stick. Yeah, I mean, with. Brett Butler certainly, you know, did not have the pop that Ricky had. Two hundred ninety-seven career home runs for Ricky. Let's see, sacrifice hits thirty for Ricky Henderson in a twenty-five-year career. <laughs> Okay, so probably I, mostly sack flies, I would imagine. Well, no, because they, they break it up into, into sack hits and sack flies. So sack hit is a bunt. A sack fly is to the outfield, of which he only had 67. But 30 sacrifice bunts, the most he had in a single year was three. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> if I go to the beginning of his career here, he had eight in his rookie year and six in his second year. And then after that, it's 
Nothing. What kind of situation would you have a, a hitter like Ricky Henderson bunt? I think before he developed that pop and before he became a better hitter, okay. he probably was in his early years laying down bunts for base hits. I would be willing to bet he's got some bunt base hits. And don't forget in 81, it was that strike shortened kind of split year. He led the league in hits with 135. Oh, so, wow. He was still a really good hitter early in his career, but I guarantee you he was bunting for base hits those first couple of years. Uh, just a couple more things to throw in. In the last 11 seasons, only one team uh, has had as many bunt base hits as Butler did, and that was in 2011. The Angels had 43 wow. bunt base hits. And in 2019, the average bunt base hits per team was 12.8. So. I wonder if those are swinging bunts too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you have to square or what. Or just infield what the singles count. Is. Yeah. If you remember I, when D Gordon, D Gordon Strange, I'm sorry, was on the Mariners, it was a big thing. He and Matt Chapman, when the A's would play the Mariners, it was a big thing because Chappie would still play back because he's that damn good. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and it was a contest between the two of them. It was a friendly contest to see how many times D could bunt and get on. And it was not a lot, even with Chapman playing that far back. It's fun. That's it's pretty a, amazing. It's a fun part of the game that people that say baseball is boring. They never look at this stuff. And this is the kind of stuff that I think yeah. you and I and, and probably all of our listeners enjoy about the game so much are these little battles. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's good stuff. Final thing I wanted to add was Brett Butler got his 2000th career hit in 94, and it was naturally a bunt single. So good for <laughs> Brett, the master of the bunt base hit and uh, a truly lost art these days. OK, so this is kind of an unofficial official uh, Tales from the Dugout, because my story this week has nothing to do with uh, with bunting or Gone with the Wind or Grace Under Fire. It, uh, it has to do with a pitcher, a pitcher that I had never heard of before. But as I kept reading about him, I, I knew I had to discuss him on the show. And I've got something really fun, at least I hope it's fun, uh, to talk about with him. I want to talk about Henry Clyde Day. He was known as Pea Ridge Day because he grew up in Pea Ridge, Arkansas. That was, that was the, uh, the, the backstory of his nickname. That, that's P-E-A, right? P-E-A, yeah, like two P's in a pod, Ridge Day. Okay, good. Which, you know, first of all, I'm, I'm just, I know P-Ridge Day sounds like it's uh, like a festival in Kentucky <laughs> where, where they celebrate P's. Uh, P-Ridge was actually a pitcher and a hog-calling champion. Whoa. Yeah, the two things don't happen very often, I, I don't think, in baseball. He came from a small Arkansas town of P-Ridge, which... Uh, is a lot more fun to say than Clyde, which is probably why people called him Peerage. Clyde was a strong guy. He uh, threw a rare pitch at the time. He threw a screwball and a very good one. Hmm. Unfortunately, he didn't have another pitch that was any good. <laughs> he had Bummer. something he called a curveball, and he had a fastball that was not very fast. Uh, he also toyed with pitching amphibiously or ambidextrously, if you want to be correct about it and all, <laughs> when he was in the minor leagues. But uh, once he got to the big leagues, it was solely from the right side. Though only six feet, 190 pounds, Clyde at one point proclaimed himself the strongest man in professional baseball. His biggest feat of strength was to tighten a belt 
So he'd cinch a belt around his chest and then he would expand his chest, breaking the belt. Wow. No word if he tore phone books or, you know, broke bats over his knee kind of stuff uh, that you see on the the old strongman competitions. Uh, He cultivated this strength by tending to his strawberry farm. Some heavy strawberries, man. So he was a champion strawberry grower too, I guess. And uh, he also would hunt and fish with bow and arrows, which he made himself. So just a country boy all around. Yes. After striking out a batter or just whenever he felt like it, Day would strike a pose on the mound and let out a screeching yell or a hog call. So can you just imagine if somebody did this today? John Smoltz (laughs) would literally have a heart attack and die in the in the announce booth. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't go over. I think John Smoltz would fight this guy. I think he would straight up go down there and fight this guy. So after striking out a batter, Day would, as I say, he would strike a pose on the mound and he would make, and I'm not sure of the actual nomenclature when it comes to hog calls. If you make it, if you let it out, if you extort, expel, I don't know. But whatever, it was this hog call. He would do this not only when he was on the mound, but also when he was in the dugout, not even pitching, as a ploy to upset opposing pitchers and batters. You can guess this did not go over well. The other teams hated it. The umpires hated it. And after a while, his teammates hated it. (laughs) (laughs) I can understand that. Yeah, but fans, they absolutely loved this. (laughs) If the game got slow or things weren't going the way of the home nine, the fans would actually start to cheer for Clyde until he started to make noise from the dugout. So they would call for him, and he it was like a call and response thing where they would they would often just spell out P Ridge. And then at the end of it, you'd hear a hog call. Well, <laughs> if you're like me, you may not be familiar with what a hog call sounds like. So in our never-ending quest to bring you all of the angles of every hog call related baseball story there is, we have found some hog calls. Now, a warning. You might want to turn the volume down a little. Unless, of course, you're in a public space listening on a speaker, then go ahead, turn it up to 11, and rip the knob off and just watch for some people's responses. Now, if you listen to any other baseball podcast and you have heard a pig call on it, please let me know, because I think we've just broken ground. I think so, too. And and interesting thing, Jeff, is I thought you had a microphone sitting at the table at a Johnston family dinner for a second. (laughs) Now, can you just imagine, though, if you're if you are you're struck out by somebody and this starts going on and on the mound, his his pose he would strike is he would put his hand up to his to his uh, you know mouth to kind of make a megaphone, and his eyes would kind of roll back, and he would like shout towards the sky doing this. <laughs> oh and my. like there were like eight different things in there that just made me laugh. 
I am still unaware of the purpose of a hog call. I mean, I don't know if it's like when I call my dog's name, are they supposed to come? Because hogs, for I thought, lived in pens. So they couldn't really go that far. So I didn't, I don't know why you're having to call them. I, I Maybe these are for pet pigs. I don't know. But the one that we listened to, that was the Iowa State champion of pig calling. So not only did you hear it, you heard the best. Regardless of this pig calls, the matter was actually brought to the desk of the American Association President, Tom Hickey. Too many people were complaining about this. So when they met, Day told Hickey that, hey, you know, bro, I'm a champion hog caller in my youth. That's what I did. And I just can't contain myself sometimes when I'm playing and I got to let it go. Hickey admitted that there was no rule against this behavior, but he did ask the pitcher to maybe, you know, chill out a little bit. Let's let's kind of cool it on the, the hog calls while on the mound. So Day agreed to perform this act only from the bench during the game and to not do it into the last out of a game while he was on the mound. So like Fernando Rodney shooting the arrow where yeah. Eck, you know, with the with the fist pump, it was a hog call if he managed to stay on the mound gotcha. until the end of the game. 1931, Ridge was pitching for the Brooklyn Robins in an exhibition game against the Yankees. Behind the plate catching Ridge was future Hall of Famer catcher Al Lopez, who tells this story about the game. He said the fans had been reading about him being a champion hog caller, so they all started calling him. Hog calls coming out from all over the, all over the stands. He strikes out the first batter, puts the ball and glove down, and lets out a pig call. Strikes out the next batter, does it again. Here comes the third battery of the inning. None other than Babe Ruth. Oh my. <laughs> so the Babe is on the on-deck circle here, and he is getting a kick out of this, which is awesome. I, it's kind of what I would expect out of Babe Ruth, too. Sure. He is having a blast with this. He's laughing at this guy, goes up there, he digs in, immediately falls behind 0-2 today. So he steps out of the box, kind of collects himself, Day gets ready. Here comes the third pitch, and Babe hits it, quote, a mile over the fence, end quote. That was the <laughs> end of the hog calling for the day. <laughs> <laughs> That'll shut him up, that yes. That will shut him up. Babe Ruth had some fun and then said, hey, I'm Babe Ruth. That's right. Next year, 1932, Day was traded for one of our favorite worst Hall of Famers ever, Mr. George High Pockets Kelly. Had to throw that in there. <laughs> So this was a short, fun story about hog calling in baseball. So if you want to continue to, I hope, feel good about this story and, you know, just remember it as another folksy baseball antidote, maybe skip forward 60 seconds because it gets real dark from here. So this is a Mark-like story. Yes. He, He then developed bone chips in his elbow and seemingly overnight lost his ability to pitch. Desperate to revive his pitching career, Day went to the world-renowned Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota for a delicate and expensive surgery to restore his arm. He spent his life savings on the surgery and was just crestfallen was the word I kept seeing when it proved unsuccessful. He just couldn't pitch anymore. He was not effective and he was constantly in pain. He fell into a deep depression. He started hitting the bottle a lot. His family had a very, very dark history of suicide and a lot of family deaths. In 1934, he got a call from the Pacific Coast League saying that there was an opening for a pitcher. He just had his first child three weeks earlier and he left 
And on the way there, he stopped to see a friend and eventually took a knife to his own throat and ended his own life. So, again, gets kind of dark there, but maybe we just remember the uh, the pig calling as it was, because I guarantee you, you just, you're not going to get this on any other baseball podcast. I mean, I'm enjoying it almost as much this time as I did last time. <laughs> I'll put a link in the show notes. If you want to go watch these people do this, they they are like rock stars. They go up, they got sunglasses on. One guy was wearing wearing a corn cob like helmet. And I mean, they really get into it. And there's fans there. This is this is big time. So if if you're into this, I'll put a link in the show notes for you to uh, get all of your your hog calling wants. All right, that's it. That's it for the the main part of the show. Let us now go ahead and uh, let's get into the part that I'm sure everybody is here for. If you're not here for the hog calling, you are definitely here for Wax Packs Heroes. It is time for everybody's favorite cardboard and wax-based 1v1 co-host v co-host exhibition. It is time for Wax Heroes. Before we get into it, let's review the rules. Mark and I will both be opening a pair of baseball cards, generally from the Junk Wax era. We will look at these cards and get credit for each player's baseball reference war from the year of the pack we are opening. However, whoever has the highest war total at the end is proclaimed the winner. But there are some qualifiers that can add or subtract from your score if the player is wearing real stirrups that we can see sanitary socks beneath. That's an extra tenth of a point of war because that's good. But if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-ones, that is minus half a point. Noah's Frio. If they have anything around their eyes, meaning sunglasses, glasses, glasses, a monocle, or even goggles, extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing sweatbands with their jersey number or caricature on them, Extra tenth of a point of war for each. If that player won an award that season, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Gold Glove, or was an all-star, extra tenth of a point of war for each. And if that player now has a plaque in the hallowed grounds of Cooperstown, New York, you get a whole point of war because that there is a Hall of Famer. And finally, Mark and I will each pick a team. If we get a player from that team, we get an extra half a point of war. But if we get a player from the other person's team, we minus half a point. Mark... With that, which team are you picking? Let's go with the, hmm, I'm going to go with the White Sox. All right. Well, if you're going with the White Sox, again, typically I go with the the natural rival of the White Sox, which you would think would be the crosstown rival Cubs, because last week you went with the Twins and I went with the White Sox. So I'm thinking maybe I should go with the Twins this week, though. So hmm. I'm going to do that. Okay. So I'm going to go with the Twinkies. We do have a new rule in case uh, you missed last week's show. In order to expedite this part of the show, which takes up quite a bit of time, we are just going to take 10 cards from each of these packs to uh, kind of represent the nine defensive players and a designated hitter. So this week we are going to open up a couple of packs of 91 score series one. So there are 16 cards in each of these packs. So we're going to each get to choose whether we want the First 10 cards or the last 10 cards. We've got our teams here. Mark has chosen the White Sox, and I have chosen the Minnesota Twins. 
So Mark, I'm gonna let, gonna let you choose. I've got two packs here, one in my left, one in my right hand. Which one would you like? I'm going right hand again. Right hand, all right. Last week I kind of changed it up and uh, I decided that I was gonna go first and uh, yes. I won. I think I won last, no, I think you won last week, <laughs> did you? It all blends together, they all, man. They all blend together. But regardless, I am gonna go ahead and I am going to, I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna just say it right now, I'm gonna take the first 10 cards again. Uh, I'm not sure that these are like the uh, the original pack of scores where they put the best players in the pack in the first 10, but I'm going to choose the first 10. All right, so I'm just going to quickly look at the cards that I did not choose. In here, we've got Jerry Don Gleaton, Sid Bream, Jeff Robinson, Dion James, which is weird because I just looked him up earlier today, and Carlos Quintana and Roy Smith. Hmm. So not a I'm whole lot too there. much. Yeah, Sid Bream would probably be the best of that bunch, but I don't feel like I'm missing out too much there. So let's get right into it here. Again, uh, let's look at the scoreboard really quick before we start. You are leading eight wins to my five. So uh, let's get right into it here. And my first card is the center fielder for the Blue Jays. Uh, he believes in dinosaurs because they believe in him. It is Mookie Wilson. Oh, Mookie. Mookie, uh, of course, most people remember him as the Metropolitan who had clutch slow roller the dribbler the clutch slow roller as i like to call it all right well let's see mookie what what is mookie's real name it's william hayward wilson hmm. mookie let's see these are 19 what did i say 1991 that was mookie's final year in the big leagues he still got into 86 games uh not that great of a year though he was uh, 35 his uh, better years were behind him he still stole 11 bases and was only caught three times that's not hmm. bad. All of that equates to an OPS plus of 70 and a war of minus 0.4. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, on this card, he is wearing real stirrups, though. So that is going to just be a minus 0.3. Not as bad as it could have been, but uh, not the greatest start. My next card is a pitcher for the Yankees. It is Andy Hawkins. Hawkins. He used to throw a lot of innings, I believe. Andy Hawkins... Yeah, about 200 innings every year. About yep. a 500 pitcher for his career. 1991, his final year in the big leagues. I got a lot of guys that are retiring uh, <laughs> here. He went uh, split time between the Yankees and the A's. He went four and six with a 5.52 ERA. That equates to a 71 ERA plus and a war minus 0.5. And nothing on this card is going to help me. So far, so good, Jeff. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying this pack thus far. Andy Hawkins, didn't he throw a no-hitter? I thought he did, yeah. No-hitter July 1st, 1990 against the White Sox, but lost 4 to nothing. The infamous. <laughs> so actually he didn't throw a no-hitter, right? Because no, you have to you officially, have to, you know. Yeah, you have to get the uh, you have to get the win. Or yep. no, you, it wasn't that. It was because they didn't have to play the bottom of the ninth. So he only had an 8-inning no-hitter. Right. Effectively. That sucks. But uh, there you go, Andy Hawkins not helping me out. Next, we get a guy who is a show favorite. It was his birthday last week, and he's got many nicknames. He prefers to go by Jeffrey, not Jeff. He prefers to go by uh, not old penitentiary face. It's uh, <laughs> old incarceration face or something. like that. It's Jeffrey Leonard. Jeffrey, don't call me Jeff Leonard. One flap down. I thought the one flap down, despite the fact he did it with the Giants, especially when they were playing the A's in the World Series. I thought that was the coolest thing. I thought it was awesome. 
But uh, let's see, 1991. Well, I'm the first guy that was not in his final year of his career. Uh, that's because 1990 was the final year of Jeffrey Leonard's career. <laughs> he was a he was a mariner, wasn't he? <laughs> yes, he was. He was uh, throughout his. Throughout his 14 year career, he played for the Giants, the Astros, the Mariners for two years, the Dodgers and the Brewers. He ended up with those final two years in Seattle, one of which was an all star year in 1989. Wow. So I guess, yeah, 1988, he was uh, with the Giants. He was not with the hum baby 89 Giants. Uh. Oh, for some reason, I thought he was, but uh, clearly he was not. But uh, Jeffrey, uh, let's see, he has got some two and one stirrups on here as well which does not help me out, but he does have eye black. So that'll cancel that out. That will just put me at a minus. What did I say? Oh, just a nothing because uh, he had retired. We had this guy last week. You know him. He is a relief pitcher for the uh, Oakland Athletics. It is third degree. Todd Burns. Mr. Burnsy. Good pitcher, solid reliever. Let's see. Uh, solid reliever. That's not going to get me any points, I fear, uh, as he no. did last week. 1990. Well, you know what? Not a bad year. 43 games, 3-3 three and three at 2.97 ERA. That's a 124 ERA plus. His first wow. five years in the big leagues, he had an ERA plus of 100 or greater all five years. Then uh, I think he got hurt and just uh, kind of dropped off <laughs> dropped yeah, off did. of the old MLB uh, planet there. Uh, let's see, a war of 0.2. So I'm uh, at least in the positive and going the right way. So that'll bring me to minus 0.6. Uh, we talked about him last week, so we will go ahead and go to my next card, which is none other than the shortstop rookie prospect here with the Dodgers. It is Jose Offelman. Oh, I'm sorry. That's that's Offerman. Man, he was a big prospect coming up, too. He had a pretty long career, if I remember correctly, though. Yeah, he played for a good while I, uh, for a few different teams. Yeah, 15-year career, played for the Dodgers, Red Sox, Royals, Twins, Mets, Phillies, and one year with your beloved Mariners. Everybody plays for the Mariners for one year, it seems At one like. point or another, yeah. <laughs> Except for Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan's the, the auditor. Right. Uh, let's see. 1991 was his second appearance in the big leagues. He got into 52 games, uh, hit a robust 195. Mm. But he had a 345 on base, which is not bad, but a 212 slugging. All that equates to a 63 OPS plus and a minus 0.4 war. He does have real stirrups on, though, so that'll only be a minus 0.3. I'm bucking to be the first minus total. <laughs> you're, you're hovering right around that zero. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Jose Offerman, I know he got in a very ugly brawl in the Dominican Winter League where, uh, let's see, he assaulted somebody, assaulted an umpire with a bat during a game. That's a little over the top. Yeah, and I think he was actually, yeah, he was managing at that point and uh, came out, was arguing balls and strikes with the first base umpire, DJ Rayburn, who is a major league umpire. I didn't know major league umpires umped in the winter league. He, he took a swing at Rayburn, and then uh, eventually went and got a bat and had to be separated by everybody. That's just not. Wow. That's not good. He says he was suspended for two years. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that makes sense. He is the father of WWE ring announcer JoJo Offerman. Huh. I am not familiar with JoJo Offerman. I don't watch a lot of WWE anymore. Lillian Garcia is the only female ring announcer I know. In, Isn't there in a Howard WWE. something? Howard, Howard Finkel? Finkel, yeah, he's a he's That's in the all Hall I can of remember. Fame. Yeah, that's right. 
Uh, she's in a relationship, though, with former WWE wrestler Bray Wyatt. And they have a couple of kids together. Wow. And the, and the godfather of those kids is Braun Strowman. Wow. <laughs> These are names I know. Yeah, how about that? All right. But Jose, you didn't help me out. Uh, let's see. Next, we've got another pitcher for the Dodgers. I think we had him last week as well. Rookie here, Jim Poole. Oh, man. Yeah, we did have that guy. Now, there were two Jim Pools. This is the guy that didn't play in 1925 through 27. Well, I, well let's see here, because when, when you do a Google search for Jim Poole, P-O-O-L-E, the first picture that comes up is some topless guy that looks like an Abercrombie model which we'll get into that in a minute this is not this cannot be the same guy the gym pool we're talking about pitched from 1990 through 2000 for just about every ball club in the uh, mm -hmm. major leagues in 1991 he split time between the rangers and the orioles went three and two with a 2.36 era not bad that's good for a 172 era plus and a war of 0.9 watch out Hey, here comes the comeback. Uh, don't call it a comeback. I've been here before. He also has some real stirrups on. So that is a whole one point and brings me into the positive at point Yo, one. Waiting for that one. <laughs> wow. That's uh, that's a big score there. Full pitch for 11 years and eight different teams. Yeah. And he was only traded twice. <laughs> wow. Let me guess. He's a lefty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, bats left, throws left. Very good. There you go. Yep. Now, if we look up, I, I have got to find out who this picture is of, oh, I guess he's an actor. He looks like he's straight out of like a Smallville kind of show. But okay. that is definitely not the pitcher that went to Georgia Tech. No. Yeah. So uh, there's not much there. Poole was the final Baltimore Oriole pitcher to record a win at Memorial Stadium. Oh, wow. That's actually pretty interesting. All right. So I am at positive point one. Next, I've got another rookie prospect. It's another pitcher. And hey, hey, he's with the Twins, my team. Hey, there you go. It is Paul Abbott. Now, Paul Abbott, I remember being a Mariner for a few years. Well, he's pictured here in a Mariner's... <laughs> on baseball yeah, we'll reference. Yes, there you go. <laughs> 11 years in the big leagues, five of which were with Seattle. He went 36 and 17 with the Mariners. Wow. That's really good. That's I, outstanding. I mean, he was on the 2001 Mariners team. He went 17 oh, yeah. and four that year. That's right. I remember that now. Wow. And didn't receive any Cy Young votes. <laughs> what do you got to do, man? Well, he was a, it was a 97 ERA plus, so... He, I, they scored a lot of runs that year. I, I'm guessing his run support was probably pretty high that year. They scored a lot of runs and won a lot of games. Yeah, yeah they did until they counted. But right. <laughs> I, I won't ring out. <laughs> 91 was his second year in the big leagues with Minnesota. He went three and one in 15 games, uh, 90 ERA plus. So, eh. And uh, that equates to a war of 0, 0.0, but he does have real stirrups on. So that will double my <laughs> score. 2.2. Uh, so far, so good. Yeah, I'm, I'm really rolling in the war here. During his playing days, he stood six foot three. No word on how tall he is now, though. <laughs> he could have had that knee removal surgery. Yeah. Oh, look at this. He played on the San Diego Surf Dogs with Ricky Henderson. Well, there you go. Nice. I did not know that. Way to go, Paul Abbott. All right, so I am at point two. I have only got a couple of cards left here. 
Oh, but we've got a, a show favorite, another Mariners catcher that is not Tuffy Ghostwitch or Dave Valley. It is time for Hasselmania. Bill Hasselman, rookie prospect with the Rangers here. Oh, yes. So is every catcher, you know, every kind of journeyman catcher in baseball always played for the Mariners? Yes, every one of them. I, I mean, I guess it just goes along with what we were saying that everybody eventually plays for at least half a season with, with the Mariners. Uh, Bill that Hassel- used to be so true, man. It's like in the 80s and part of the 90s, we would just pick up anybody, man. Here's a name. Maybe he'll sell a few tickets. I don't know. Just throw anything on the fire, trying to get anything going. But hey. Hasselman was, I mean, this guy was the was the antithesis of a career backup catcher. He was a number two guy. The most games he ever played in in a season was 77 in 1996 with the Red Sox. In uh, let's see, he came up in 1990 with the Rangers. His next appearance in the big leagues was 92 with Seattle. So I'm not going to get anything here stat wise. And there's nothing on the card that's going to help me either. What is with you in this score pack? My well, at least I mean, it wasn't negative. I got to feel good about that. Did you buy the all reti- retired and injured players packs or something? Well, this is I bought a whole box of these. So this is. <laughs> <laughs> 13 years, though, in the big leagues for Hasselman. Five with the Rangers, four with Boston, three with Seattle, one with Detroit. If we take a look here, he was involved in quite a few trades. Uh, let's see. He was traded with Aaron Seeley for Damon Buford and Jim Leyritz. Uh Let's see. He was, inv- he was involved in a trade with Frank Catalanato, one of my favorite A's. Francisco Cabrera, Gabe Kapler, Juan Gonzalez. So some, <laughs> some names came across with him. Bill Hasselman was the backup quarterback for the UCLA Bruins football team behind Troy Aikman. Wow, really? Yeah. I had no idea. That's impressive. He also served as a volunteer assistant coach for the Washington Huskies baseball team. That's too bad. Uh-oh, that, that's, that goes right to the, uh, the heart for you, doesn't it? Yeah. Screw you, Bill yeah. Hasselman. You're dead to me. <laughs> Unless you want to come on the show. He was a Husky. Unless you want to yeah. come on the show. Then yeah, we'll- then you're more than welcome. All right, next, uh, I, this is probably going to be my, my best, well, I can't look at the next card yet, but this is the best player I've probably had thus far. It is none either than Seinfeld star, I guess I'll just say, is Paul O'Neill here with the Reds. Ah, uh, yes, Paul O'Neill had to hit two home runs in one game to satisfy the uh, little sick child. And hitting home runs is hard. That's right. Uh, let's see. Bats left, throws left, kicks left. Mr. O'Neill played in 17 Major League Baseball seasons, only with two teams, nine with the Yankees, eight with the Reds. Oh, wait, I, you know what? Did I give myself credit for being uh, for having uh, Paul Abbott be on? I didn't for uh, for having him be on the Twins. I did not get a half a point for that. You're supposed to remind me of these things. That brings me up to point seven. Feeling Remind you, now. I'm barely paying attention, man. <laughs> 1991, <laughs> I'm going to like this. Paul O'Neill was an all-star this year, so that bodes well. He only hit 256, uh, slugged 481 for a 127 OPS plus, 36 doubles, 28 home runs, 91 RBI, and 12 stolen bases. Not bad. By the way, I just want to I want to announce there, 91 RBI. I had, had a note from a listener that uh, it's RBIs. It can be. Okay. I'm just for the rest of this podcast. I'm going to say he had 91 runs batted ins. So there you go. I hope you're happy. 
91 <laughs> runs batted ins for the year. He was an all-star, and I'm just curious to see how many outfield assists he had this year. That'll help me in, in, in the war, but let's see here. Uh, assists in 91, he had 13 outfield assists in And how many were kicked? <laughs> I don't I don't know what year that was that he kicked it, but 1991, 4.9 war. I'll take it. He also has Very real nice. stirrups on, so that will be five plus he was an all-star. That's a 5.5 for me. There you go. You needed that. Yeah, I will take that. That takes me up to 6.2. Let's see. My final card, and I'm feeling good about this one, too. It is uh, first baseman for the Oakland Athletics in 1991. It's Big Mac, Mark McGuire. Ah, that, that should help. Yeah, this one should help, too. Let's see. Mark McGuire in 1991 was an all-star. I like where that's headed. He hit 201 <laughs> in 154 games. That's not good. Uh, slugging, not that great either. 383. He only had 22 home runs this year. A real down, down year. 93 walks. He was an all-star, though. That will help me. Uh, let's see. In 1991, he only had 75 runs batted ins. And that will equate to a 1.6 war. Can't see his two-in-ones that I know he's wearing, but fortunately can't see him. And he was an all-star, so that'll be a plus 2.1 for Mr. McGuire. And that will bring my total to a robust 8.3. Yikes. Wow. Hey, hey, you know what, though? Beats negative one. Yeah. Now, I do want to do want to say that Mark McGuire uh, was uh, a guest star on one of my favorite shows of all time, Mad About You, as well. It, it Not quite uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but still... Something that uh, that I enjoyed quite a bit. All right, so I'm at 8.3. Mark, you don't have a whole lot of work to do here. Before I open this, do you want to take the first or the last 10? The top 10, please. I think that's always a good deal, a good, uh, good idea when you're dealing with score. All right, looking at the cards that you passed up on, one of my favorites, Carlos Martinez. Uh-oh, Steve Finley in here. Uh, oh, ouch. Yeah, Pete Smith, Mitch Williams, Mike Heath, and Greg Hibbard. Oh, Mike Heath, my boy. So I, I think Steve, well, Steve Finley was, uh, let's see, this he'd only been in the league for two years, but Mitch Williams would have probably got you some points too. But uh, let's see what uh, let's see what you get. You don't have, a, don't have a big number to overcome here. Your first pitcher is, uh, wow, quite a name. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to get you a whole lot in 1991, but pitcher with the Yankees, Dave Rigetti. Sure. Closer extraordinaire. Yeah, so there is a, a there is an official scorekeeper for the Mariners whose nickname is Rags, and every time I hear that nickname, this is who I think of. <laughs> Dave Rigetti. Let's see, 16 years in the big leagues. Wow, he was only 32 in 1991. I would have wow. thought he was 42 at that point. The first year that he did not play for the New York Yankees in his 16 years, he was with the Giants. He went two and seven. A 3.39 ERA, 24 saves, and a 106 ERA plus. That equates to a war of 0.5. Nothing else on this card is going to get you anything, but you're in the positive. Um, Pace-wise, though, I'm only going to finish at five, so you're ahead of me as far as pace. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. uh, Closer, twice-named AL Royal Relief Man of the Year, and uh, also appeared in two all-star games first player in history to pitch both a no hitter and also lead the league in saves that was later uh, followed up by dennis eckersley and Derek lowe both did that as well did you mention that he was rookie of the year in 81 i did not but now yeah. you have there you go 
All right, so you're at point five, good way to start off. Next, you get another guy we've talked about quite a bit. This will probably help. Lefty pitcher for the Angels, Mark Langston. Ah, yes, uh, one of the great Mariner pitchers of the early Mariner years. Also uh, went to my parents' alma mater, San Jose State University. Oh, wow. Powerhouse baseball team. Came up with the Mariners in 84, pitched for 16 years in the big leagues. Good news for you, 1991, he was an all-star. Probably even better news, 19 and 8 with a 3.0 ERA. Wow. 183 Ks and 246 innings. That's a 137 ERA plus. And that equates to a war of (laughs) 7.3. What? Plus he's got real stirrups and he was an all-star. So that is 7.9 from Mr. Langston. That will take you up to 8.4. You are a tenth of a point ahead of me already. (laughs) That's ridiculous. That's uh, good if you can pull a Mark Langston there. Of course, Mark Langston was traded by the Mariners for Randy Johnson. That's right. Seven-time gold glove winner, by the way. Oh, yeah. I I neglected to mention that. Good, good glove guy. All right. So you are at 8.4. You get another angel here. This one will probably not be as prolific. It's second baseman Johnny Ray. Aren't you a big Johnny Ray fan? I am compared to you because I remember him each time that we pull him. <laughs> what, what are you saying, man? But that's okay because Dave Dervecki didn't remember him either. So that's right. If, if, that's you, right. if Dave Dervecki can't remember a player he played against, it's okay if you forget him as well. 1991, this is good news for me. 91 uh, was not his final year, but 90 was. So uh, no points from you except for, well, darn it, he's got flip-down sunglasses and he's got real stirrups. So you get point two out of it regardless. And when he didn't play, he's getting me some points. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Ten years in the big leagues with an all-star once, came in second in the Rookie of the Year balloting in 1982, played with Pittsburgh for seven and California for four years, ended up with a 290 average and a career 101 OPS plus, a career 24.2 war. Wow. All right, next you have got a pitcher for the Yankees, a lefty reliever, Lee Guterman. Oh, man. Uh, Another former Mariner. (laughs) Let's just do this. Let's say that if if they're a former Mariner, we don't say anything, and it's just assumed. Okay, that that makes sense. (laughs) But if they haven't played for the Mariners, then we'll mention it. Okay, that that works for me. Let's see. uh, Arthur Lee Guterman. 11 years in the big leagues. He came up with Seattle, played his first three years with the Mariners, and then his last two in Seattle. In 91, he was with the Yankees, went three and four, 3.68 ERA, a 113 ERA plus, not bad. And that equates to a war of 0.9, and he's got real stirrups, so that'll be an even one for you. I'll take one. Yeah, you're at 9.6 now and just threatening to embarrass me, which joke's on you because I'm pretty hard to embarrass. <laughs> All right, so you're at 9.6. Uh, here's a guy that came out of the Wax Pack from the Wax Pack book. It is third baseman DH for the Blue Jays, Rance Mullenix. One of my favorite names, Mullenix. Cool name to say. Well, Rance is a pretty rare name as well. Is that short for anything? Uh, let's see here. Rance Mullenix. Full name is Stephen Rance Mullenix. Ah. So it is short for Stephen Rance. <laughs> Apparently. Not exactly what I was looking for, but okay. <laughs> Let's see. 1991, winding down his career, he played only three games in 92. In 91, uh, let's see, he hit 250, had uh, two home runs, uh, 
24 runs batted ins, and a 92 OPS plus, and all of that equates to a war of 0.0. But good old Rance had glasses, so you're going to get a positive tenth of a point out of that. Very nice. To bring you to 9.7. 1984 Sports Illustrated named him to their dream team as a utility infielder. Huh. Interesting. Career on base percentage of 354. Well, not bad at all. If you do a search for Rance Mullinex and look at the images, somebody has uh, photoshopped his picture onto Conan the Barbarian's body. So (laughs) I'm just saying that if you're bored, there are worse things you could do than look for Rance Mullinex photoshopped onto onto, uh, Conan the Barbarian. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know what those things are. I'm just saying that there probably are. All right. Mullinex hit over 300 three different times in his career and ended with a 272 lifetime batting average in 16 years. Not bad. I, I believe that is the highest lifetime batting average for anybody named Rance. I believe you're right. All right. Moving on. I remember this guy. This is a rookie prospect card with the Guardians. I remember this guy as a prospect. Never really did a whole lot that I remember. Bo Allred. Oh, man. I remember the cards. But that's about it. Maybe that's where I remember the, the, the name from. Let's see. Bo Allred played for three years in the big leagues, all of it with Cleveland. 91 was his final year. Not spectacular. Not going to lie. 48 games. He had three home runs, 12 runs batted ins, and a 92 OPS plus. All of that still equates to a .7 war. <laughs> plus, hey. he's got real stirrups and flip downs. <laughs> so wow. So that'll get you a .9 for Bo Aldred. Let's see. Who well, knew? he walked. Look at this. He walked 25 times. His on-base percentage was 359. Oh, wow. Let's see. I'm guessing he had to have had some sort of injury. All right. So this is this is very interesting. I don't see anything about being injured, but I would think with that kind of power and, and on-base percentage, somebody would have given him a shot. But in a 1991 Sports Illustrated article, writer Steve Ruchin, Russian revealed several pen-written lines of graffiti in the Cleveland Stadium bathroom chronicling Allred's career. One read, Shoeless Bo Allred. The next read, Clueless Bo Allred. And finally, Clubless Bo Allred. I guess after he was released, he was clubless. I mean, that's really some good reporting. If you're... you're Going through the bathroom stalls at Old Cleveland, the, the old mistake by the lake, just looking for graffiti about Bo Allred. Just quotes, man. You can find them everywhere. All right, you're at 10.6. Next, you get another rookie prospect card. Don't say anything because you know what that means if we don't mention teams he's played for. Here it is, Luis Soho. <laughs> I got nothing to say. Of course, Luis has played for the Mariners. He, got, uh, he was on that 95 team that had the big comeback towards yeah. the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, well, I think he was on the pile with Griffey, wasn't he? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, you're right, yeah. Was, he had a, there was one game where he had a huge clutch hit or a home run or something. I'm trying to remember it. He has a special place in Mariner history for that particular 95 home run or something. Well, he played for 13 years in the big leagues, seven with the Yankees, three with the Mariners. 1991 was his second year. Came up with Toronto in 90 and then ended up in California in 91. Played 113 games. Uh, let's see. Hit 258. Had 20 runs batted ins. 73 OPS plus. Led the league with 19 sacrifice bunts. 
and that equates to a war of 0.7. He does have real stirrups on as well, so that'll take you to a 0.8. Very nice. Well, you're, you're just crushing it here. Well, we're trying to pull, pull back a little. We're not sending runners from second. You, you've subbed in Luis Soho already. Right. Luis Soho's middle name, Beltran. It's more like a last name, but... Yeah, interesting. It, this is very interesting in his Wikipedia page. Not classically athletic. He was a natural shortstop. <laughs> <laughs> classically athletic? I, I mean, I've been described thusly as well, but... Uh... Yeah, I think I've been described as not remotely athletic. <laughs> Uh, was called the best 200 hitter ever by radio's announcer, John Sterling. <laughs> I mean, these are, these are superlatives. They are not good superlatives, but they are superlatives. Yes. Being called the best 200 hitter and being called not classically athletic. Uh, whoever is curating <laughs> his uh, Wikipedia page is uh, kind of a jerk. Not a fan, well, whoever there. Yeah. Uh, next, you've got just a couple cards left. Here we have got... Again, can't comment on the teams he's been on. Here, a rookie prospect, hard-hitting Mark Witten. Oh, nice. Mark Witten, uh, didn't he have four home runs in one game? I believe he did. I believe he was with the Car- was it with the Cardinals or the Guardians when he did that. I don't remember. We'll look it up here in a minute. 1991 was his first year in Cleveland. He came in sixth in the Rookie of the Year balloting in 1991. He split it between Toronto and Cleveland. And overall, let's see, not bad. Nine home runs, 45 runs batted ins, 243 average, and an 87 OPS plus. And all of that equates to a war of 1.5. Right on. He also has some real stirrups on here, so that'll be a 1.6. So it was 93. In the second game of a double hitter, he hit four home runs against the Reds when he was playing for St. Louis, drove in 12 runs which is, that's pretty good, you know, months worth of RBI for, yeah. I'm sorry, uh, runs batted ins for most players. And it became the 12th player in Major League history to hit four home runs in one game. And only the second to have 12, R, 12 runs batted ins in one game. <laughs> See, it just, it doesn't make any sense. It is not RBIs, it is RBI, but I'm going to just keep doing it until... I feel I have made my point. You, you did promise you would. All right. So you're at 13 even with two cards left. Next, you've got a lefty for the New York Metropolitans. It's Jeff Musselman. Hey, I knew that guy. He uh, was with the A's organization when I was working in the uh, clubhouse. He's in Tacoma. Uh, what's his build like? What's his build like? Yeah. He's a little dude. So he's not really a Musselman. No. Uh, no, he's, he was kind of a tiny guy. Good six picture. foot 180. So, yeah. Kind that's of a, not right. <laughs> Trust me, that ain't right. <laughs> well, they were, he, he was carrying his bags when they weighed him. Uh, let's see. In, he is uh, not six feet tall. <laughs> oh, really? So is the weight is okay there, but he's not no, six he's, feet. No, he's a tiny, he's a smaller guy. Okay. Let's see. 1990 was his final year in the big leagues, though. So you will get nothing from his stats. But, of course, he's got real stirrups on because we wouldn't want you to be shut out for any reason whatsoever. That's right. Thank you, Mr. Musselman. Uh, so you'll get a tenth of a point there. Well, after retiring as a player, Musselman worked his way up to vice president for the Scott Boris Corporation. No kidding. Yeah. So I'm not sure if he's still there or not. He has uh, three daughters as well. well. One of them, Maddie, is a gold medalist in water polo. Jeez. Nice. Look at him go. Yeah, I guess. All right. Your final card, which uh, you're going to really have to get somebody that really stinks 
for me to even have a chance. Uh, you are at 13.1. I finished at 8.3, and I don't think this is going to do it. It is uh, first baseman DH for the Royals, Gerald Perry. No, nah, Gerald Perry was never the kind of guy that would lose me 40 points in, in one season. He played for 13 years in the big leagues. Uh, let's see, he was an all-star once in 1998. In 1991 was his first year in St. Louis. He uh, hit 240. Not much power, six home runs, 36 runs batted ins, 91 OPS plus, and that equates to a war of 0.7. And he's got eye black, so that'll be a 0.8. And that'll bring your winning total to 13.9. Not an extremely high number, but... uh, Compared to mine, it certainly was. Enough to um, do pretty well against uh, your, your rough day on the mound. All right, so there you go. Uh, another resounding victory. You are now up 9-5. to five. We've just about reached the halfway point of the season. But congratulations on another blowout victory. That's going to wrap up this episode of Wax Packs Heroes. It's also going to bring to the end another episode of the podcast. So we will start to wrap it up here. If you want to get a hold of us uh, at any point, you can go ahead and do so. We are on all the social medias at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. You can find us Twitter, Instagram. We really need to do some more stuff on YouTube and, and Twitch. We haven't done anything recently. Uh, Mark, we also have an email address that they can reach out to us. Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to write to us on our electronic mail account, Two Strike Noise. Spell it out just like the other one, TWO Strike Noise at gmail.com. And a little programming note we are going to take next week off. Next week is Thanksgiving. A lot of people are going to take some extra days off. And uh, you know what? It, it's gone are the days when families would gather around the radio or the phone and listen to podcasts. So <laughs> we're just going to go ahead and we're going to take the week yes. off. We're going to spend some time uh, with our families. We hope everybody is safe and healthy and can see their families this year. And we will be back, though. We have got... Uh, hopefully a very exciting guest lined up for right after the break that we're excited should this work out we're not going to say anything because until it's in the can we're not going to it would be way cool (laughs) let's put it that way yeah we'll have a (laughs) lot of questions should we be able to talk to this gentleman but uh you know what until then mark i hope you have a great holiday hope all our listeners do and we will see you on the next episode of two strike noise all right thank you all god bless you have a great day Sue,